one of the most honest and refreshing autobiographies I have read in recent times. The former president is undisputedly one of the finest political orators of all time, but his lucid and unpretentious writing lets the reader empathize with him a lot more than one would otherwise have imagined. While reading, one certainly feels like a bystander during Obama's journey from a mixed-race child growing up in Hawaii, fatherless but with his toot, grandma, and his mom, educating himself at Harvard Law School and finding the love of his life in Michelle. Further, we understand how since his later college days he wanted to work in the public space and was always keen to make a difference, an impactful difference. Hence his plunge into a senator's position and eventually becoming the first African-American president of the United States of America. A Promised Land which is 701 pages long, covers only his first term as president. Frankly when I started reading, I wasn't sure if I would be able to go through the giant book even though it was recommended reading by many, but his writing kept me engaged and I reckon I finished the book in about a week or so. The aim of this blog is simply to highlight some key passages from the book. Hope it allows you to understand the intellect, the emotion and the intent of Barack Obama and nudges you to pick up the book. Obama believes in the traditional and well-tested adage of filling in key positions with men of integrity and knowledge. The book thus also shares the work of the many men and women he worked with while in the Oval Office. He starts his presidency as an idealist but as he grows into the role, he very candidly realizes the benefits of perhaps not being one, keeping quiet but not at the cost of injustice. For example, he says, I was learning yet another difficult lesson about the presidency, that my heart was now chained to strategic considerations and tactical analysis, my conviction subject to counterintuitive arguments, that in the most powerful office on earth, I had less freedom to say what I meant and act on what I felt that I'd had as a senator, or as an ordinary citizen. And while there are moments in politics, as in life, when avoidance, if not retreat is the better part of valor, there are other times when the only option is to steal yourself and go for broke. His Obamacare, medical insurance for all was a classic example of this approach of going for broke. Also his handling of the 2008-09 financial crisis where he bailed out the big auto giants, especially General Motors. He is practical enough to accept certain realities when he says, I had encountered enough Wall Street executives and bankers personally to know that many, though not all, lived up to the stereotype, smug and entitled, conspicuous in their consumption and different to the impact their decisions might have on anyone else. But did he do enough to punish them? My answer is an emphatic no. While he was a senator and contemplating whether to actively get into politics, he says, I knew that a viable presidential candidacy wasn't something you just fell into. Done right, it was a deeply strategic endeavor, built slowly and quietly over time, requiring not only confidence and conviction but also piles of money and enough commitment and goodwill from others to carry you through all 50 states and two straight years of primaries and caucuses. Why I had gone into government in the first place, toward the taproot idea that maybe politics could be less about power and positioning and more about community and correction. However he admits that he was mistaken in this belief. Over time, I have trained myself to take the long view about how important it is to stay focused on your goals rather than getting hung up on the daily ups and downs. There is not a black America and a white America and a Latino America and an Asian America. There's the United States of America. It was probably the line most remembered from my 2004 convention speech. I had intended it more as a statement of aspiration than a description of reality, but it was an aspiration I believed in and a reality I strove for. He is deeply influenced by Franklin D. Roosevelt, the 32nd American president, 1933-1945, and his ways of governance. There were times in his presidency when he put himself into FDR's shoes and wondered what the late president would have done. This was especially true when it came to handling the economic chaos created by the collapse of Lehman Brothers and the subprime mess. 
FDR had understood that digging America out of the depression was less a matter of getting every new deal policy exactly right than of projecting confidence in the overall endeavor, impressing upon the public that the government had a handle on the situation. Just as he had known that in a crisis people needed a story that made sense of their hardships and spoke to their emotions, a morality tale with clear good guys and bad guys and a plot they could easily follow. In other words, FDR understood that to be effective, governance couldn't be so antiseptic that it sets aside the basic stuff of politics. You had to sell your program, reward supporters, punch back against opponents and amplify the facts that helped your cause while fudging the details that I didn't. I found myself wondering whether we did somehow turn a virtue into a vice, whether trapped in my own high-mindedness, I had failed to tell the American people a story they could believe in, and whether having ceded the political narrative to my critics, I was going to be able to wrest it back. Sir Winston Churchill was perhaps FDR raised to the power of 10. And his handling during World War II is another fine example of what Obama is referring to above. In the book, Obama admits to the historical mistakes America made in their foreign policy, be it with Iran, the Russians or within the Indian subcontinent. Clearly, he sees the benefit of aligning with India rather than Pakistan. He has gone into great detail on how a relatively bipartisan political system in America over the last several decades has become virulently and violently partisan. A president has no choice but to continually multitask. You're like the guy in the circus, Michelle told me once, just spinning plates at the end of the stick. Obama adores his wife and daughters and does admit them to be the reason for him maintaining his sanity while he was the president. Thus my most endearing view of Obama has been Obama the father, Obama the husband, Obama the son and most of all Obama the grandson. His upbringing and perhaps the person who had the maximum influence on his heart and mind was his maternal grandmother. Two taught me to marry passion with reason, to not get overly excited when life was going well, and not get too down when it was going badly. A vital lesson for all us in today's difficult times.